0: If you would turn in your Bibles or look up on the screen whichever you prefer Exodus chapter 34 Last Sunday I had a conversation that took my thoughts to another story of that occurred in the life of Moses that shaped him into the man and the general that God would make him into. When we learn what God has done to shape Moses we can learn what God will do to shape us and help us to fulfill our call. Because God needed him to walk in all the sphere, all the boundaries that he had given, given him, all the ones he had called him into. It was important. And he made him ready to do so. So over in Exodus chapter 34, I was amazed at how little we've actually covered this story. I think we've made mention of it here and there. And uh, referred to it in in some, but never really focused on it. Last week we were looking at becoming a general, how Moses was being raised to become a general, and not just uh, someone who's moved about by every every wave that comes this this way. And we can learn the same things. We saw that the people Israel, when they saw great things, when they saw that God parted the Red Sea, they feared the Lord. The word of God said, they believed the Lord. And in chapter 15, they sang a song. They got happy. But before that, we saw that when Moses came and told them that God had appeared to him in a burning bush, they were excited. He showed them the signs. The leprosy and the the serpent. And they got excited. And then Pharaoh got mad and made what they were doing harder and they got sad and they got mad at Moses and they griped and complained and they no longer believed then God did the ten plagues and they were happy again and God blessed them with gold from the people of Egypt and then there's they're leaving Egypt and they're all happy Suddenly, they're trapped between the Red Sea, the mountainous places, and the Egyptian army, and they were sad again, and mad, and complained. So they came to Moses, and Moses went before God, and God told him what to do. And they saw something that had never been done before. The Red Sea was parted, and the waters stood up like walls, on each side of them. And they walked through on dry ground. And they watched as the walls collapsed on the Egyptian army and drowned those who came after them. And they were happy. And they were glad. But we know this won't last long because they were not generals. They were peons who were moved about by every wave that came their way. If we want to Become a general. We saw we got to first off stop being moved by what we see. Stop being moved by anything that we hear. We have to hear the words of God. Above all other things, I got to hear the words of God. Other things are going to come to me that I will hear, but I got to tune my ear to hear the words of God. Tune everything else out. And bring everything that we see, everything that we hear, And everything that we feel, back to those words that God spoke. If you'll do that, you can become a general too. If I can be moved by what I see when the answer comes, then I can be moved by what I see when the answer is delayed or hasn't arrived. We cannot be those that are moved by what we see, even when what we see is what God did. Just as the children of Israel that way. But let's take a look at Exodus chapter 34. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Well, this is probably the first time they ever saw somebody glow. Have you ever seen anybody glow? Shine? I mean, this is a this is remarkable. This is the glory of God coming off of him. He sat in the glory of God in his presence for 40 days and it just seemed like he absorbed it and now he's just reflecting it. What a remarkable thing. And he doesn't even know it. He doesn't know that he's shining. Of course, if you're in the presence of God and in that much light all that time. You probably don't know it either. But this is the second time he went up to spend 40 days, 40 nights on the mountain. We saw that in Exodus 34 and 28 that he had gone up to the mountain. was there for 40 days and 40 nights just like he was the first time. They noticed the change in Moses' skin. That it was shiny. And they were afraid to come near him. Produced a fear in them. Because they they don't know what it is. Most times, we don't know what something is it produces a fear in us. Until we find out what it is. When you hear a noise and you don't know what it is, it can produce a fear in you until you figure out what it is. And then, oh, it's just whatever it might be. That knowledge helps us out. Once I can figure out what something is, then I I know I either need to take action or it's okay. It's uh you know, if you hear a strange noise in a house and you have never heard it before, and you find it isolated to some branch that has grown and now is uh hitting the, the house, oh well that's what it is. Well then you you kind of relax. But if you never find out what it is, you're kind of on edge. This is what they are. They're on edge about this. We, we don't know. what Moses didn't go up this way. But this is how he came down. But he didn't know it. You see, being in the presence of the Lord caused a change in Moses, one that people could see outwardly. They could see this change. Now, could you understand that people were being afraid because he was glowing or shiny? I mean, if somebody you know suddenly came back and they were glowing, you might back off too. Even though you know it happened in the Word of God, they don't know it happened in the Word of God. It's never happened to anybody before. Let's go back to verse 30 again. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. So he didn't put up with them being afraid. He said, "Nah, uh you all need to come over here. And so he called them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. So the first thing he does is he gets Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation to come near him so he can talk with them. Look, i got some things to say. I guess if you've been in the presence of God 40 days, you'd have some things to say too. But then verse 32, it says, Afterward, after he talked with the rulers and with Aaron. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near him and he gave them as commands, commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. Now they're still afraid of this glowing guy. But Moses called them and they, they listened. They came. I guess they're figuring we better off listening to Moses than we are not. So Moses doesn't let the people stay away because of their fear. But he calls them to overcome it. And they did. So Moses talked with them. Now what do you suppose he talked with them about? If you had 40 days in the presence of God. And you sit down and talk with the leaders for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. How many of y'all know he didn't get it all in? He didn't tell them everything that happened in the 40 days. He didn't tell them all the words of God in 40 days. What he told them was either what he was permitted to tell them, what God instructed him to tell them, what he felt was pertinent for them, but there's a whole lot he probably left out. Maybe some of the things that were shared were just for Moses. We don't know, but God's pretty efficient. You think of some of the things that God has said in his word, and in six words, ten words, twelve words, I mean, it leaves us astounded. If we sit there and study those things out, oh man, these are are powerful words. Can you imagine having 40 days worth of words? Now, he didn't need food. I'm supposing he probably didn't need sleep. But I don't know that. But even if he did sleep some, and the rest of the time he's awake, that's a lot of words that he got to hear from God. Now, he may not be able to tell them everything that went on, but I want you to think about this. How is it that people can come from the presence of God and immediately discuss problems? Come immediately from the presence of God and discuss fears? Come from the presence of God and discuss disappointments? How many times do we come from the very presence of God and immediately begin to say things we wouldn't say in God's presence? It said in the Word that Moses' face shone from the glory of God. Shouldn't our conversation and thoughts be changed from our time in His presence? If Moses could spend time before the presence of God and His face changed so the people around him could see it, shouldn't things in our life change? Shouldn't our thoughts begin to change? Shouldn't our conversation begin to change? Beyond that, Keep on going. Shouldn't our expectations change? Shouldn't our viewpoints change? Shouldn't we become ones who view things the way God does instead of the way that men do? We hear people, they, they talk about what's going on in the world and they talk about it in fear. When we come from the presence of God, should we talk about it the same way that they do? Did the presence of God change you? Or did you just spend time in prayer? Now think about this. All the children of Israel spent time in prayer before Moses arrived crying out to God. Doesn't the Word of God talk about that? Doesn't God say that the cries of the people have come up to Him? Doesn't that mean they were calling out to Him? And yet these same people who called out to God, God, help us, deliver us from these oppressors. Fulfill your word, do what your word said. These same people who would make these these prayers were also caught up in idolatrous Egyptian worship. Maybe not all of them, but enough of them that they brought it with them out of Egypt. These same people would go from the place of glorifying God to the place of complaining about Him. Just because you pray doesn't mean you spend any time in the presence of God. Lots of people are are praying and asking God for all kinds of things. But it's not going to bring about the change that we need. If I want to become anything like a Moses who goes through life Seemingly above it all. Then for the first 80 years and even for the first few months of being a deliverer he still struggled. But then we see that he began to make a turn. And when people rose up and complained against him he'd go right to God. God, what do you want me to do? Didn't seem to have a care in the world that all these people want to rise up and kill him. He's ready to do whatever God wants him to do. God, what would you, what would you have me do next? Our conversation needs to be changed. I didn't have this in your outline, but you can write this down. If you're able to put it up on the screen, go ahead. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. You probably are very familiar with this verse. This is Isaiah speaking when he was in the presence of the Lord. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The thing that he is called to mind the most when he's in the presence of God is the fact that his mouth is not up to par. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've spoken words that I shouldn't have said. Now, I never get the idea that Isaiah is a guy who goes around cussing. (laughs) But this is the first thing that he thinks. My words are not up to par. They don't measure up. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. It said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I took note of this in reading the scripture again. That God does not argue with him that his mouth is not up to par. He doesn't say, Oh, come on. Get with the program. Stop being so negative, down on yourself. He didn't say that. He says, okay, let's fix it. This is one of those verses that uh, Brother David Engels put in one of his albums. So it's hard for me not to read this and not hear him. (laughs) (laughs) I hear him saying it all the time. And I also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. He is in the presence of God, and the first thing he, gives, he comes to mind is, "My conversation is not right. The words that I speak, they're not up to par. And the angel comes over and he touches his lips with this coal, and it's never brought up again. God doesn't bring it up, and Isaiah doesn't bring it up. He's in the presence of God. God cleansed this conversation. All right, now we got that out of the way. Now, if this had been Moses, like he was in the wilderness, I think Moses would have had a few more things to say. Maybe he might have thought that wasn't quite enough. But that's not what Isaiah did. Isaiah just just took it. And his conversation was cleansed. And he allowed the words of God to come to him. And then he would speak them. And when God needed someone, he said, who shall we send? And he said, I'm here. I'm ready. Send me. Because he realized his conversation was cleansed. When we get in the presence of God, things ought to Change. Then we go on here in verse 33. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now what happened when people would read this over the years and it has been taught that what Moses did was a kindness to the people. That when the people came to Moses and said, Moses, it's hard for us to look on you with this, this glow. And so he put the veil on to tone it down for them. But that's not what he did. What Moses did was he would take the veil off As he would go into the presence of God. And as he would be in the presence of God. He would get recharged. And his face would shine bright. And so then he would come out. To the people. And he didn't put no veil on. He would speak to the people. And they would see his face. Having come from the presence of God. And his face glowed. Shone bright. And then after he would speak, he would take the veil and he would put it on his face until the next time. Now, the times that he would go in before the presence of God, we see in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Because that's where he would meet the Lord. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out. To the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. So this this pillar of cloud that would be over them, they would see it visibly move to where Moses was. At the pillar, or I'm sorry, at the at the tent, the tabernacle. And it would come and set over the tabernacle. They could see this. When Moses went into the presence of God, it got everybody's attention. They didn't come near near him. They watched from afar because this was outside the camp. So they stood in the camp by their tents. This kept them far enough away from Moses that when he took the veil off, if he was still outside, they didn't see his face. But he he wouldn't wear the veil into the presence of God. And all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent. This is a very visible presence of God. Every time Moses would go into the tent, the tabernacle, every time he would get in there, this is what would occur. I mean, that's just got to be moving to see that. But again, they're moved by what they see. So when they see this, they're moved to faith. When they don't see it and they see something else, they're moved to doubt because they're moved by what they see. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He had quite the job there. You get to stay here all the time. Whatever it is that he had him do. So he would take the veil off, go into the tent, come out and speak to Israel. They could see his glowing face. Then he put the veil back on until the next trip in. Now over in Corinthians, we're given a little more light on this because these things were passed down from generation to generation accurately enough that uh, Paul includes it here. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great <clears throat> boldness of speech unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What Paul is telling you here is when Moses was seen by the children of Israel and he didn't realize he was glowing, that his face shone, but they did, he saw the fear that was in them. They had a respect for Moses they could see that he was in the presence of God. And if you were Moses, and you had something that visibly had an effect on people who were constantly moved by what they saw, how many of you would look to preserve that? Especially when they keep rising up wanting to kill you. I think we might want to preserve that. So what he saw was, that when he was in this presence, that his face would shine when he came out. But after he was out for a time, the, the glory would fade. And so to prevent the people from seeing that the glory faded, he'd put this veil over his, his face. And he would leave the veil there until the next time he would go into the presence of God. This would keep the people from knowing that the glory faded. That's why he's saying enter with boldness. Bo- Moses had a little bit of lack of boldness in this. He said I, I need them to think I still glow. So he put a veil on so that they could not see that the glory that was on him was temporary. that it would begin to fade away. That's what Paul writes about. I don't know that I can fault Moses for this. God never seemed to. It's that this is the people that's moved by what they see not by what God says so if you have something that you can visibly use to, to keep them in the right line I guess that's what he decided to do and um, uh, as far as I know God never rebuked him for it I think if God wanted to say you know, get rid of the veil he would have done it one of those times he went into the tabernacle into the uh, the tabernacle of meeting I think he would have said something about it hey lose the veil And I think Moses would have listened. But apparently all those times getting in the presence of God, God must never have said that. So I'm not about to say that Moses should take off the veil. (laughs) If God didn't tell him to, who am I to give him a presence tell him to that he should do something like that? I mean, what would you have done? If you were in the same situation, what would you have done? Now, I want you to think about this. This shiny skin started when? When Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days in the presence of God. It continued when he would just go into the tent of of meeting. He didn't go in there for 40 days. He didn't need 40 days in that presence to come out of there shiny. He just would go in. But when we read this passage here in Exodus chapter 34, is this the first time Moses was on the mountain for 40 days? It is not. It is the second time he was on the mountain for 40 days. So I would ask you this question. Why didn't Moses glow after the first one? Why wasn't he shiny? Why is it the people were not afraid? of Moses when he came out of the presence of God the first time for 40 days? Why is there no mention of needing a veil, fading glory? Why is it Joshua, when we hear his words when he first sees Moses, is not taken back by the shining face of Moses? When he sees the people, why is there no mention well, that seems to be the first thing they mention when he comes down from the mountain the second time. Is this a new thing? Well, when Moses came down the first time, what happened? They built the golden calf. And was, was Moses happy? He was not happy about that, was he? In fact, he was so angry at it that he threw the tablets down and they broke. Is it possible that Moses came out of the presence of God glowing just like he did the second time, but the feelings that stirred up in him drove that glowing right out? Now he was angry for God, but I don't know that the anger was completely, completely good. I mean, he destroyed what God had made. See, I begin to think about that. First time going into the presence of God, second time going into the presence of God. First time, no shine. Second time, big shine. I mean, he's shining big, scared people. People in the back could see the glow. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Two to four million people in a crowd and they could see the glow so much that they were afraid. But they didn't seem to notice it on the, on the first one. Now, if you were God, if you had a purpose for Him glowing, shining, don't you think that purpose could have been served pretty well? when Israel was over there doing the, the golden calf stuff. But it all went away, I think. You see, is it possible that though we can spend great time in the presence of God, that we can come out of His presence and our flesh feelings drive all of that out? Is that how it is that people can come from what they say? I was in the presence of God. And their conversation is not cleansed. Their thoughts are not good. They're suspicious of the people that are around them. They're not thinking the best, walking in love. How is it that we can come from the presence of God? And become the same person that we were when we went, before we went in. Shouldn't the presence of God change us? The presence of God changed Moses. He knew it changed him. But he also knew that these people, the only change they can see is when it is visible to their eyes. And so he put the veil on so that they couldn't see that the glory faded. Because to them, it would matter. To Moses, it didn't matter at all. He didn't even know he was glowing the first time. They had to tell him. You see, when we get into the presence of God, it needs to change us. And if I need to have change, guess where I need to be? in the presence of God when I get myself in the presence of God changes can happen to me wrong thoughts can be replaced by right ones doubt can be replaced by belief being moved by what I see can be replaced by being moved by what God speaks But this is done in the presence of God. What happens is that we replace what is done in the presence of God with precepts. Thou shalt not, thou shalt. Well, if I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, then I should be. No, we need to get in the presence of God. See, this is the role that fasting and prayer are supposed to have for us. It's not just ignoring food. It's having that opportunity to get into the presence of God where I'm no longer just making requests of God. God, I need this and -and so-and-so needs this and I want to be in intercession for this and, and our long list of things that we're going through. But now I'm going to get into the presence of God and let what is in Him Come upon me. The First time this happened, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in, in the presence of God. But then it kept happening when he would just go to the tent and meet with God and then come out. We don't need days and weeks in the presence of God, but we sure do need some time. We don't know how much time Moses allowed to go in between or that God had going between these these visits. But Moses would get before the presence of God. They would meet about things. They would talk about things. Moses would get God's opinion on what's going on. They would get in the presence of God. Now I'm not speaking about you folks but just Christians in general sometimes they get in the presence of the news media and they glow with whatever the news media has sometimes we get in the presence of other people who are filled with doubt and unbelief themselves as we get into their presence we begin to glow with whatever it is that they have now I don't know about you I can only speak for myself but I'm sure that many of you have have probably done this as as well when I get in the presence of people who speak things that are against the things of God or not of God's opinion I have noticed this over the years that I there's there's a I, I can see it I can visibly feel it. That on the inside, I shut down as far as listening to them. I don't try and come up with an argument to tell them something different. I vis I, Inside, I, it's, a, it's a visible, I can see it going on. I just shut down because I don't receive it. I don't hear it. Now see, a lot of times we'll spend our, our time trying to argue people into the kingdom. You've got to be careful with that. I know a fellow who tried that one time. Uh, His name was Paul. He tried to argue people into the kingdom. He had great success. They had great arguments. Uh, But no converts. You can't argue people into the kingdom. They don't see it. They don't get the revelation. Just going back to the Word of God. He who comes to God must believe that he... If people won't believe that he is, you you can't do much. That's that's why a lot of times when we get into uh, some of the things, current events, stuff like that, I'll only go so far, and then I just shut it down. Well, I don't need to need to spend. God, if you have an opinion that's along those lines, I'll hear it from you. Tell me about it. But otherwise, I just I just move on. We just got to be careful. Because I, it, whatever I absorb is what I will give off. Some Christians, not here. I'm talking about you folks. But I even put up, I know most of you don't don't see the things we put on Facebook. Lisa. That's what people tell me. But I do put stuff up there all week long for you all. <laughs> <laughs> I put one up there. Rick Renner had shared just a wonderful uh, scripture and uh, a, a thought And so I put that up there, just uh, was letting y'all know, you know, boy, it's so fun to be around you folks. And I especially realize that when I get around other Christians. (laughs) Because some of these other Christians, the things they talk about, the things that they do, oh, man, oh, Uh, sometimes I've I've been in that group, I'll I'll go to my wife, she's feeling the same thing, I said, we need to leave soon, (laughs) we just need to go see they, they just start to disrupt you on the on the inside, and, uh, it, and most of the time these, these they don't want to hear anything they want to say. Remember that story uh, Brother Keith told it about uh, Brother Hagan, that this uh, particular minister wanted to get an audience with Brother Hagan, and so before the service, he said, "Well I'll give y'all you know, I'll, he can come in uh, thirty minutes before or during our our time there." And so I think, I think it was only 30 minutes. I don't think it was 45. It was somewhere in the neck of the woods. And so he came on in, and he, Brother Keith is sharing the story. He says, uh, I was young in the faith then, you know, in the, in the things of God, and hadn't really been doing much with, with Brother Hagin, but even I knew. Because <laughs> this man came in, and for the entire time, he talked about all that God was doing through him. Telling Brother Hagin about it. And Brother Hagin just sat there and listened. Didn't try and cut in, didn't try and do anything else. And Brother Keith is thinking the whole time, he says, Man, if, if I were you, I'd shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I would just listen to what he has to say. If he had you come back in here, more than likely he had something to say. But you keep talking, this is what he's going through his mind, you keep talking, <laughs> you're not going to hear it. And so after the, the time, 30 minutes, whatever it was, Brother Hagin said, well, that's all the time I've got. <laughs> and he was done. He was out of there. And um, <laughs> that, that gentleman never found out if Brother Hagin had something for him or what he would have bestowed on, on him. You don't know. But he was real caught up with what he was bestowing upon Brother Hagin. <laughs> what he was telling them about that. We've got to be be careful. When we get in the presence of God, I'm not there to inform God. I keep telling myself that every every now and then. Just make sure I, I stay mindful of it. I'm not here to inform God. He knows everything. Remember, I know I shared this with you before. Somebody said it. Somebody had mentioned it. God has no new ideas. There's no new ideas. Doesn't need any. He had all wisdom, all understanding. He's not growing in wisdom and understanding. He is wisdom and understanding. Doesn't grow in all that. I can't inform God about anything. I can't tell him and him say, Man, that's a good point. I never thought of that. That's not gonna happen. I, I know that's not gonna happen. So I'm not there to inform God about anything. Not only does he know all, all wisdom and all, all things, he also knows everything that's going on in my life and everything that will go on in my life. So I don't need to inform him about them either. He already knows. All I need to do is I need to receive what God has. So when we, we go into prayer, I need to spend more time listening than I do about talking. If I do talk, it's a question about something he said. Well, you said this. No, nah, I'm not understanding or you just, you, you ask questions. Questions are born on knowledge. Contrary to, to popular belief, there are stupid questions. There are actually a lot of stupid questions. Questions that are born on ignorance. They're stupid questions. You can tell somebody that's a stupid question. Don't believe this stuff and no, all questions are good. No, they are not. There are a lot of questions that are born of unbelief. Those are stupid questions. Well, what if God doesn't? Well, that's a stupid question. Either you have faith in God's Word and you know that God said He will, therefore He will. That's not a real, that's not a real good question i got to ask that question before I ever go to God in prayer. What is the will of God? When God says, this is my will, there we go. I got it. And I can have faith in what he said. But there's a lot of stupid questions we can ask. I'm not saying that I've, I've only asked intelligent questions. I'm sure I continue to ask God stupid questions. And sometimes after you ask them, you think, oh, that was a stupid question. Have you ever done that? Ask questions, oh, why did I? That was a stupid question to ask. Sometimes you just want to repent. God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ask that question. Forget that one. Let's go on to this. (laughs) Ask another question. Well, we could spend time in that and go through the Word and just show you some stupid questions that came out in the Word of God. Because they are there. But you see, when you are in the presence of God, you should change. So, do you change when you're in the presence of God? Is there a change that comes upon you? There ought to be. What you get around will change you. That's why you got to be careful what you get around. What kind of conversations that you, you hear. The Word of God says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I gotta be careful I don't get a little leaven in me. All I need is a little bit is a sneaking on in and then it can move out into some other areas and then move out into some other areas and it can keep on going. So I try and stay on guard with that. When I get into the presence of God, I like to go over some of these things with them. Is, is this, is this right? Is this wrong? Are we on to something here? Or as God said, just drop that. So when I'm in the presence of God, do I change? I gave you some room there. You can write any of these things down you want to. Mm -hmm. Do you expect to change? When you get in the presence of God, do you expect to change? Here's Here's a third one for you. Does the change last? Does that change last? Can you get before the presence of God and come out of there and start yelling at people? Can you get in the presence of God, get in your car and start talking nasty about people who cut you off? Now, I've had many times that people have done things to me and it want to come up on the inside of me to think something, sometimes even to say something. You ever had that? I'm sure that you have. Or one time I was coming back from the shore and in a relatively uh, short period of coming back from Jersey. Anyway, relatively short period of time. A number of things happened. One, I was driving along. This is in a in an area, a real wide road, area 42, where everything kind of is coming together. 676 and 76 and all this stuff is all. It's a very wide road right there, and you got to make sure that you're in the the right lane, and you know, so you can go in the direction that you want to do, and that you you need to go. And um, there was this person who was in a a car on my right side, and you know you always watch when you're when you're driving. My father was very much in, instilled in us to uh, uh, anticipate the people around you are going to do the worst thing possible. <laughs> Just anticipate it. And, you, and you, you can avoid some problems if you just anticipate it. And so I'm looking around, watching what's going on, and this person that was over there begins to move over into into me. Not into my lane, I mean into me. They're moving right on over. And now I saw what he, he obviously didn't see me. I mean, if he saw me, he wouldn't have done it. I'm bigger than that one. I'm in the truck, there's you know, some little tiny four four-door thing. I don't even know what it was. Wasn't a Prius, but it's you know t- tiny little thing. You know, if there's going to be a fight, mine's going to win. <laughs> but he's he's moving on over. I see that. I don't want to have any any damage come to my car, his car, any, anything. Plus, it's a that's a busy section of road. You do not want to have that kind of stuff going on, in in the middle. So um, I made first off an evasive move to get I hit the first off. Check the mirror, make sure there's nobody in that lane that I have room to move over to which I had a little bit of room, so I moved over that way, and then I laid on my horn. didn't lay on the horn first. I first got myself in a little better position, but I had to get his attention because if he kept on coming, I was eventually going to run out of room to get out of the, the way that what was going on. So um, I laid on the horn, and then this person woke up to the fact that I was there and then moved back over to his lane. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get somebody who does some kind of distracted driving thing, how many of you want to get past them? I just think, you know, I want to get past this person. And uh, then if they do anything more, it's behind me. It's not, I don't want them to pass me. I want to pass them. I want to get in front of them and and just get on. So as you're going on by, now what do you usually do when somebody makes a move like that? Obviously, it was their fault. They were in front of me. What do you usually do when you go on by? You know, you give them that look, that stare. Right? (laughs) Give them the look. And I don't know why we do it, but if we're, the, if we're the person who did the stupid thing, we look to see it. <laughs> right? We look over so that we can see the look that's coming. We know it's coming. You're going to give me the look. We look over so we can see it. And it just rose up inside of me. He said, It came up this way. He said, Steve, how many times have you made a move and didn't know that someone was there? I said, yeah, you're right. So I looked over. Just waved at him. Don't worry about it. We're good. And just kept on going by. See, when we get in the presence of God, it needs to have a, a change on us. It needs to change the way I am with people. It needs to change the way I behave. It's got to change the way that I think. I've got to begin to think more like Him i got to change the way I believe. I need to believe the way that he wants me to believe. He says you need to believe based on what he says, God says. That's what I need. Not based on what other people say. Based on what God said. I need to, to, to base my beliefs not on what I see, whether it's good or whether it's bad. I need to believe because he said it. I've told you this a number of times. It's been told to me. It's why I tell it to you. Don't ever pray to God for a good report. Don't ask God, Oh God, I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to the banker. I'm going to whoever. I need a good report. Don't ever pray for a good report. Don't ever do it. You are heading down a wrong road when you do it. It may not be immediate, but you will head down a wrong road when you do it. Because what you're now doing is you are basing your faith on sight. Sometimes we plead with God. God, I just need a little encouragement. Just need a... Little little helpfulness. I need a good report. I don't need a good report. I have God's report. The doctor can come back and say, Well, you're worse now. <laughs> <laughs> Glory to God. I got, got I still it didn't change God's report. God's report's the same thing. The banker may come and say, It's bad. I have God's report. I have God's word. I have to go with God's word. Even when people come around and, and tell me other things. Because it's what Israel was supposed to do. When Israel was, was stuck and the report came, Egypt's coming. The Red Sea's in front of us. We can't go forward. The mountains on either side of us. We can't go to either side. We can't go backwards. Because the army's coming. We're doomed. They have to go back to what God's Word said. They didn't. They went with the report that they got. When they go into the promised land, they send the 12 spies out there. They came out with a bad report. Ten of them did. And they believed the bad report. What were they supposed to do? Believe the good report. Caleb and Joshua, they believed the good report. They stayed with the good one. I see some people looking cold in here. Take care of that for you. See, when you get in the presence of God, it should affect in a change. People when we get into trouble, we don't we don't go into the presence of God to to bring about change. We go into the presence of God to beg for help. If you want to bring in the presence of God, you gotta go into God's presence with faith. Father God, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that no matter what it is the people around me are saying. I thank you that your word is true. I choose to believe your word. See, this is how you bring in the presence of God. If Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting, did nothing but complain and moan and groan, I think that cloud would have picked up and said, well, we're out of here. <laughs> but that's not how he did it. That's not how he carried about. He didn't go in there complaining about these people you gave me. They didn't do it. He went into the presence of God. God, what would you like me to do? Jesus went into the presence of God and said, Father, what is it that I'm supposed to say? Because he wouldn't say anything unless he heard the Father say it. We have a day coming up in ministry tomorrow. What would you like me to do? And he would see what the Father would have him do. And when he came out of the presence of God, he came out changed. Prepared to do what God wanted. When he went into the presence of God in the garden, he came out renewed on the purpose of God. He was in the presence of God. He was strengthened to do what God said to do. That's what it should do. But most people, we spend our time in prayer. Well, God, I need you to do this and God would sure help if this happened and can you help this person over here? They need some help too and we just lay out all these list of things. We're not getting in the presence of God. Put the little line there in your outline. What kind of changes can we expect from being in the presence of God? What can I expect? You can write in whatever you want to write in for this. This is a, not an exhaustive list. But it's a list. I can expect to become more spirit conscious. I can expect that I'm going to be more tuned in to the things of my spirit from being in the presence of God. I'm not saying you're going to get that from being in prayer, you're going to get that from being in the presence of God. I'm going to become less flesh oriented. The things of the flesh are going to appeal to me less. Boy, I used to like those things. I don't like them anymore. My my spirit is being developed, being in the presence of God. And I, I don't like those things. Seeing people through God's eyes. That's something you should should be able to expect. A lot of times, Christians are seeing other Christians through the accuser's eyes. How's that going to work for you? You listen to the way a lot of believers talk about other Christians. It sounds like it could be the accuser himself. Well, I don't know about that person. I don't think they ought to, I don't think they have a, sound more like the accuser. Remember Jesus when he had that woman who was caught in adultery? Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? They're gone. And neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. We get in the presence of God, we're going to begin to see people through God's eyes. God's going to be able to share with us this is how I see this is how I see them. And we can adapt that. All right, if you see them this way, I need to see them this way. But then I get in their presence and I see them do things. And I want to believe what I see instead of what I heard from the father. Don't do that. What did you hear from the father? I heard this. All right, walk in that way. But then I see them do things. Maybe I see them cuss. Maybe I I see them get angry in in a not so good way. Maybe I see some of their words not reflect what I think are the words of God. Do I see them now the way the accuser sees them? Or am I still going to see them the way God sees them? I need to keep seeing them the way God sees them until God tells me something different. God does give up on people. Do you understand that? He gave up on Saul, didn't he? There are some kings he anointed to be king. He said, no, we're done with that one. That Jeroboam guy, yeah, we're done with that one. We're moving on to somebody else. We're going to take the kingship away from that house. We're going to put into another another place. When you see people through God's eyes like that, yeah, sometimes you're going to come down hard on them like Peter did, like Paul did. The different ones that came down on people hard because they they saw God saying, they need to quit this. You speak to them about it. You speak to them about it. There's a story Brother Hagen shared with us about a, a particular minister. I know who it was. And um, he had... Uh, had a word from God for him. There were three areas that he was supposed to change in his life. One was on money. He had to change what was going on with money, and there were two others. And I used to remember two of them, and I seem to forget that. But anyway, there were three areas that he needed to change, where judgment was coming. And Brother Hagen gave him that word. I think he gave him that word. This may have been the one that he uh, he said I was young and I didn't I didn't uh, give him that, but. I think this may have been the one that he approached him with it. And then one time they had this uh, group, a bunch of uh, people from the um, healing revival were there. And they said, Brother so-and-so is in the hospital. And he was in, in bad shape. We all need to come up and pray for him. So Brother Hagen got out. They were, he was sitting with his wife in the back of the church and they came out and they he walked to the front. He said, As soon as I put my foot on the step, to go up and join the other ministers and pray for him. God says, don't bother. He didn't listen to what I told him. He'll be dead in so many days. I forget what time was. And so Brother Hagin turned around and went right back to his seat. Never went up on stage. And his wife leaned over to him and said, what did God tell you? (laughs) And he said, who said God told me anything? I could see that look on your face. God told you something. And so he told her what God had spoken to him. And sure enough, in the time frame, he had gone on. He died. Now, I don't know that he, he didn't make it to heaven. Probably did make it to heaven. Could have made it to heaven a lot better if he would have listened. But he didn't. But you got to see thing, see people through God's eyes. And God will sometimes paint a bad picture of some people to get them to change. God is not all rosy. But sometimes we sound more like the accuser than than the God of love. Viewing things important to God as important to me. I expect that. Because sometimes what's important to God I haven't taken on as important to me yet. I need to make that change. I'll do it from being in His presence. In His presence, faith should grow. Doubts should decrease. That should come out of being in the presence of God. In the presence of God, revelation and understanding should increase. I should get more revelation, more understanding of the Word of God. They should increase. Frustrations ought to be going away. Because I have more understanding and I understand what to do and how to act. These are things that can, can change. But, I've got to get in the presence of God. Not just pray. Not just spend time talking with God or asking things of God. I've got to get in His presence. Sometimes that's going to mean getting in there and just worshiping the Lord. Maybe you sing a song. Maybe you worship in a song and in the spiritual song, tongues. Maybe that's where you go. May you go in in the presence of God begin to quote some of the things that he said in his word some of the things he spoke to you I'll tell you one of the quickest ways that you can stir up the presence of God and to be in his presence is when you are facing something terrible in life, something that looks like it is destructive and you go into the presence of God with joy and gladness and recite not your doubts But His Word, boy, that'll change it. But you see, once you get done doing that, you've been in the presence of God. You've allowed that to absorb into you. You need to hang on to it. Understand, the enemy wants to get everything he can to to pull that out of you. Don't let him do it. Go in there; you are in the presence of God should be joyful. I had a quote about that in the bulletin here today. Needs to change. If you begin to not be rejoicing and joyful, get back in the presence of God. Get back in there. Hear the words of God. Feel that presence. Absorb that presence. By our times of corporate worship when we get together. This is the time we can be in His presence. You can also be in corporate worship with us together here and be out making different lists. Well, I need to get this done and I need to do this and not enjoy the presence of God. Just because you're in the place where God is present doesn't mean you are in His presence. I got to make sure that when God is present, so am I. I am conscious, I am focused on the things of God. Just know when you have worship time and you're here worshiping together as a church, people, things are going to come to mind. Try and pull you out. Get you to think about what's happening tomorrow. What's going to happen later on today. What you need to accomplish. What you need to do. Maybe it might stir you up about some worries. Some cares. Some concerns. But you see, you got to set all that aside. And you've you got to just be in the presence of God. When you're going there, don't make sure you don't take your phone with you. <laughs> don't be answering no texts. Checking Facebook. Emails. You've got to put all that stuff away. And get in the presence of God. I can't say that my phone is always away from me when I'm in the presence of God, but that's okay. Because I use it as a training exercise. My phone goes off, I'm not moved. I just let it go. I just let it be. You go off. You can do what you want. See, so I can train myself to do that. I can also train myself that every time it goes off, I, I check it. I don't need to do that. I want to, When I get in the presence of God, I want to be able to absorb what it is that He has for me. I don't want Him distracting, being distracted. So, so important. When you come in here to worship, don't worry if the world is falling apart out there. There are people that will hold it together. There are people that will take up things if they can't get a hold of you. It's all right. Lake Ethel's coming. Why does anybody call me during church time? They know where I am. <laughs> Fasting and prayer is a time for you to get in the presence of God. Allow His presence change you. And then when you get those changes, maintain them. Go out into the world and maintain those changes. The world is going to try and get you to think the worst of people. The world is going to try and get you to use language that you wouldn't use in his presence. The world is going to try and get you to be angry at things that really are trivial. They are trying to get you to be angry because you got inconvenienced. And see, we just let all that had gone on go right away. Perhaps like Moses did on his first time in the mountain. Maybe that's why we don't have it written that his skin shone bright after the first time. But we sure have it after the second. Because he learned what not to do when you come out of the presence of God. We can learn it too. Because I want to be more like a Moses than some of the other characters in the Word of God. He didn't seem to maintain anything about, about God in our life. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the presence that you make available to us. that We can sit in your presence and enjoy the way that you change us. Moses didn't get in your presence and begin to think, oh, I wonder if I can glow. He just got in your presence and things happened. When we just get in your presence, things will happen in our life people will notice those changes. We have to be ready for some of those changes that are going to take some people off guard. Why is it you think like that now? Why is it you talk like that now? And we have to make sure that we don't ever forsake the God we brought about these changes in our life. But we say, I am becoming less. And he is becoming more. Thank you for the way your presence can and will change us if we will just sit in it. boy if we spend all that time in your presence building ourselves up in the spirit and the devil hands us a ticket on the way out and we pick it up we begin to say all those things he wants us to say and do all those things he wants us to do and what we change in that presence is gone but it doesn't have to be that way but it can be that every time we get into your presence become less of me and more of him and as i maintain that and get in your presence again there'll be less of me and more of you again and if i maintain that and get in your presence again that's that cycle will drive fear unbelief doubt worry anxiety all those things will be driven from me they'll become like foreign entities I don't even know how I picked those things up before can't even seem to find a handle now I who once was so worried and so fearful and fretful about so many things suddenly can't seem to be that way anymore because I've been in the presence of God and I keep going into the presence of God for everyone that's here keep your head bowed, eyes closed if you're here today and you say yeah I need more of the presence of God in my life there's a whole lot of me that still needs to be driven out whole lot that sounds more like the accuser of the brethren than the savior of them I need more of God's presence in my life I can see some things that need to go but I know that he'll show me more as time goes on if you want to make that commitment to being in his presence see what is wrong driven out Raise your hand. Father, you see these hands that are raised. I thank you that this week, as we seek after you, that you will teach us some things about your presence. And we can get before you in ways we haven't done it before. Not ways of many and great requests not just questions the times when we bask in the presence of our Father just as we put seasoning on meat that it would absorb the flavor we become seasoned with your Spirit And the people begin to sense, to smell, to pick up the flavor of our God. Because we are seasoned all over with it. I thank you for the things that you are moving us into, getting us ready for. And Father, we need times in your presence to do it. There are some things in our calling. Some things in the borders that you have outlined for us in our life. Some places in that calling that we will never get to if we don't become seasoned with that part of you that we need. There are many people who were kept From the things that you would would have for them. Because of just these things. Caleb was one of those. It's our example. He took on the nature of God. Got in your presence. And even when he was old, said, I can drive them out of the mountains. And he took tough territory he took a territory that when he was going through and spying he probably saw and said that's going to be mine and the whole time he's wandering around the wilderness with the rest of the disobedient people of god he kept envisioning that and going over the words the promise of god being in your presence You even know the enemy probably told him, Caleb, you're old, you won't be able to do this now. He said, no, I am. Being in your presence can make us into the Calebs instead of some of the others who fell. Fell to defeat. Father, I thank you for the victory that is ahead for us. It's not just automatic because we're a believer it comes because we take on your nature and become like you in the battle and I thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray amen glory to God hallelujah well those of you who can we're going to be starting some my wife is starting some some prayer times up on the uh, first one will be this Friday. Uh, we're going to start it up at the house, see how, how many folks come on out to uh, before we move it back down here to the church. But uh, we'll do the first one here up at, up at our house, Friday night, 7 o'clock, unless she determines that another time is better. But if you're interested in that, please uh, talk with her before you go. See her on the, on the way, on the way out. I saw that there was one in prayer's report. Bacons are praising God for twelve years of marriage. Amen, Amen for that one. Bless them folks before you